Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. No flu-like symptoms, no fever. Getting a little, still getting a little uh, antsy from being hunkered down here in Norman. But by golly, if I was going to be hunkered down anywhere for like the last seven weeks, it's nice to be at home. So I look at the glass, glass as half full. It is what we got. I'm, I'm going to protect myself and others by keeping my, my big ass at home. That's what I'm going to do. So, uh, and, but I'm, I'm sure getting, looking, looking forward to getting out of here and getting back to work and calling some AEW matches and, and hopefully that's going to happen in May. At least that's my goal. Well, we're looking forward to it, but we're also very appreciative that you're still making time to, uh, talk a little old school with us. And today we're going to talk about a show that happened way back on April 30th, 20 years ago today, April 30th, 2000. Of course, we're talking about backlash 2000 and went down at the MCI center in Washington, DC. It's the second ever backlash. The first of course was in 1999. Uh, we've got 17,876 fans here. Uh, 16,614 of which paid an astronomical $540,820 at the gate. Another incredible $170,693 in merchandise. What a home run this has to be from a live event standpoint. It, this feels like, I don't know, a hundred years ago, but $540,000 for a non WrestleMania, non SummerSlam, non Royal rumble, just a sort of throw away pay-per-view, if you will, 540 grand. That's huge. Especially when you compare it to, you know, what, 10 years prior to this unbelievable. Yeah. That's a lot of cheese on a Whopper. I can tell you that right now. Um, well, the deal is the simple fact of pay-per-views, they have to have two things. And the number one thing they have to have is star power. Pay-per-views are attraction driven. And on this pay-per-view, it was loaded yes. with stars. I mean, really loaded with stars, loaded with an emotional return and, and had the motivation to have uh, the, the main event with rock and triple H for the title. Uh, it had all the elements in place, but I thought that some matches on the undercard were also just absolutely sensational, but it was a real cool atmosphere. Uh, I remember it very well, quite frankly. And what, you know, when AEW had, we had a show there in that arena sold out by the way, you know, uh, we were proud to say, but when I was in that arena, that was the thing that I, that I thought about was, you know, some of those great nights that we had uh, wrestling there, but boy, this, this backlash 2000 was a show for the ages. It really is a great show, but before we talk about the matches, I do want to talk a little more business. This one pulls a 1.62 buy rate, which translates to roughly 675,000 buys. What an astronomical number of buys. I mean, we've heard way back in the day that you guys would top a million for a WrestleMania, but thinking back through just pay-per-view history for the company, 675,000 buys is a monster number for any show in any era. Do you miss the, the old school feel of pay-per-view? I mean, obviously AEW is still producing pay-per-views and and, and boxing still has pay-per-views, but with the UFC trying to shift away from that and doing stuff with ESPN plus and WWE network going to going ahead and doing their own thing on the network, it feels, I don't know, different 
It doesn't feel like there's as big of a drive and push to sell the pay-per-views. Do you think that's changed the business much overall? Yeah, it's affected the business and how it's presented. Uh, I was going to, I mentioned earlier, the two things you got to have is, uh, uh, attractions because pay-per-views again are attraction driven. Uh, and you, the other thing you got to have is a great promotion that's multi-layered going into the event. So even though we can all recall, if we think hard enough of a one, of essentially a one match pay-per-view that, uh, we can all, you know, that was a good show, but it really was all about one, but the main event was it, but I was happy with the main event, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, the promotion for this event really, uh, the lead in kind of, as it worked out for backlash 2000 was WrestleMania in 2000. And so the, the, the comings and goings and the developments at that WrestleMania, especially as it relates to the main event was very episodically told. It involves some very charismatic people. And then when you can factor in that stone Cold's returning in a, in a, not in a wrestling role, but returning, you know, if he shows up, he's not going to show up just to hang out. There's going to be a stunner to somebody. There's going to be fists flying, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the audience had not seen Steve, uh, I don't think until, uh, since November. So it was a, a very emotional night, but all the elements were in place, the advanced promotion and the attractions, the attraction driven, uh, pay-per-view was really money. And there were some matches underneath that we'll talk about that, uh, were, were, or helping develop other things, other talents like Eddie Guerrero, for example, that actually got really over his situation with China. So there's a lot of cool things. Introduction of Chris Stratus on that show was, was big. It's bigger today than it was then because nobody then she was a rookie knew how good she was going to be. We'll talk about that, but this show had it all. And it may have had one too many matches. The only critique I could have watching it back. Conrad was the fact that some of the matches may have had too much time uh, as far as telling a story. And so if you're filling time, uh, you're, you're, you, this, this bad booking, you're not there to fill time. You're there to, if you've got a lot of 10 minutes, well, I got to fill 10 minutes. No, you got to go out and have a 10 minute presentation that has a beginning, a middle and an end, and you kick some ass. That's what you got to have. So it's not filling time, but I felt like some of the matches on this show, which we'll talk about seemed to me that they were getting more time just as a, as a, uh, uh, you know, a gr- gratuitously, the, 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 out of good nature, it's the same old shit. We got to do what we can to keep all the boys happy. Well, you can, you'll never keep all the boys happy period. <laughs> no such thing. And no such thing. So, the, so what you do is you do, you do what's best for the card and for the locker room and more importantly for the company. Again, the old golden goose thing, man. Keep the goose healthy, boys, because she's sure as hell giving you those golden eggs. So don't screw that up. So uh, it was a it was an interesting night. I I and I, I enjoyed that night. I and I really enjoyed watching this pay per view, which I had not seen in twenty years. Let's uh, let's get into it. We're coming off WrestleMania two thousand. Of course, it's really WrestleMania sixteen. We recently did a show on that, but we saw triple H retain the world title and Vince McMahon turn on the rock during the match, which leads to Vince aligning with the women's champion, Stephanie Shane and DX creating one big stable, the McMahon Helmsley faction. what do you think of Stephanie being women's champ here? Well, I had no issues with it because at that time, the women's title didn't have the, 
the uh, the the chops behind it that the women in WWE have today. Uh, it wasn't a priority then. I'm not bragging about that. Just stating statement of fact. So it was looked at in a little different way, almost like the hardcore title is today, kind of a gimmicky deal. Take it or leave it. It's comedy or whatever. It, or in the case of the ladies, it was just a TNA. So, uh, and it wasn't about great grappling or athleticism, even though a lot of them were very good athletes, no doubt. But, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was, I thought the show just was very well thought out. And I didn't think Stephanie, she's a hell of a heel. She's a chip off the old block. Stephanie's just a female version of Vince. Right. And he was, he may have been the best heel that we ever had there. Yeah. Cause first of all, in, in, in that statement to back that up, he helped make Austin as the ultimate antagonist without question. Then he turns now to help do the same thing with another cat named Dwayne Johnson nowadays, but then known as the rock. So Vince had a major hand as a performer and a villain, which he relished to, uh, with two of the all time biggest stars in, uh, in, in WWE. So, uh, but I had no problem with her as, as that, you know, the, and I, and I understand adding, uh, you still the McMahon faction, including triple H, the McMahon Helmsy thing, you know, we were trying to build Hunter into a great heel, great steps, a lot of creative, a lot of time and money was put into making triple H a bona fide top of the card, uh, heel. And over the years, I thought we accomplished that pretty well, but it was, uh, she, Stephanie was money and still, she still is money in a heel way. Uh, even though that's not her role, uh, you know, still when she was on TV, she does the heel stuff, but she was a natural. She just watched the old man do his thing and, and kind of added her own spin to it. And, and, and it worked. Let's, uh, let's talk about what gets us here. I should mention Earl Hebner kind of starts a feud against this faction as well. This McMahon Helmsley faction on the April 17th raw triple H is defending his title against Chris Jericho. And during the match, Hebner comes to relieve the original referee who'd gotten knocked out, which causes triple H to argue with him. The distraction allowed Jericho to take advantage and pin triple H to win the title. Though Hebner visibly uh, called a, a fast pinfall. And the faction then brought Hunter and the original referee, Mike Kyoto to the ring where Kyoto admitted that Hebner made an unfair pinfall. Triple H then has Hebner fired and reverses the decision, allowing triple H to gain the title or regain the title. Rather, this is a big moment. Um, I didn't see it coming. And the idea that Chris Jericho was going to be the world champion and was announced as the world champion. This to me was a great TV. I was all about it. I mean, I realized it's a quote unquote dusty finish. But the WWE hasn't done it in so long at this point that it felt new and it felt fresh. And I thought it really worked. What'd you think? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. You know, it was, it, here, it was plausible. It was plausible. And that's a term that was not used often enough in pro wrestling then now or forever plausibility, realism. And uh, that had the plausibility as well. I can see that happening. And then you kind of get lost in the story. So, uh, I, I liked it. I had no issues with it whatsoever. It, it added to the overall storytelling. Let's, uh, let's talk about some news and notes heading into the show. Meltzer would write 
There is expected to be an announcement regarding the television situation imminently based on what we believe to be the case on numerous reports. The much talked about CBS deal has likely been agreed to in principle by both sides. Officially, the company has to give USA network the right to match the offer. We're under the impression that USA has already been given the offer to match. And at least as of a few days ago, had not officially given the WWF an answer on whether or not they were going to match it, but it's been believed for some time that USA would not be matching the offer. And of course, as we fast forward a week or so, we find out that the television landscape is going to be changing. Uh, the USA network has filed suit against the WWF Viacom and CBS on April 13th. And the concept here is that they had a different interpretation in the language that allowed them the offer or the opportunity to match an outside offer. This is not going to necessarily end well. Uh, ultimately we know the company goes to spike, but I got to admit when, even when you and I talked about it before, I didn't remember USA sort of digging their heels in trying to fight to keep the show. What was Vince thinking during all of this? Or what were you hearing from Vince, uh, about all of this sort of back and forth with USA? Let's get away from that goddamn dog show. Uh, I, I, it's about being repositioned. You know, Viacom, CBS, and all that's a big outfit. They, they, they've been around. They got, they got deep roots. Uh, so, so I, I think that, and there was a significant increase in money. So that was the deal there. And there'd be no preemptions. It'd be locked in every Monday night at, uh, what not at that time, nine o'clock, uh, Eastern nine to 11, right? Nine o'clock Eastern. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was, it was a, it was a good business decision. But you know, the way that I understood it, it was all us if USA want to keep them, they had to match the offer. They didn't match the offer. So to me, it was to the letter of the contract, which was also proven true in court because McDivitt did it again. Well, let's mention this part of the thing that USA takes issue with is they're not asked to match things that already exist in regards to the four wrestling show. They're saying specifically. Uh, you want us to do something with the XFL on Sundays and you want a movie developmental fund. And, um, there's lots of other weird stuff in here, including, uh, CBS is offering syndicated radio spots and specials and hosting theme park events. And they're even offering to, to buy some WWE stock. So it's not the standard sort of contract that USA had before. Do you think this was Vince? sort of getting creative to try to figure out a way to move away from USA network because of the dog show, or was he just, I mean, like any businessman trying to make as much money possible through all these other avenues as well. Oh, I think that, uh, Vince really wanted to move to Viacom. Yeah. I thought they were a big, a great, they had a great big hug with a cash line sleeves ready to give the uh, ultimate financial embrace to, uh, uh, WWE and Vince, I think, uh, it, it made him it, in his view. I think it made uh, our company at that time feel more wanted and uh, to, with a, uh, partner that really was in, invested in what we were doing and we're trying to help continue to help build the brand. It seems to me like USA got a little bit stale. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, today they're very promotional minded USA seems like, and I say that because as you know, I'm a big mark for, uh, 
uh, Law and Order SVU, and that's on USA. And I get it's ad nauseum how many WWE spots they run. There's, it's seemingly, and I'm probably, I don't know I'm exaggerating, but at least in every other break, there's a promo. Right. So they're getting promos out the keister. And, uh, it's, a uh, so they're, they're, they've made a different change in the philosophy there, but I think Vince really had his heart set on leaving. I'm telling you, I was kidding about the goddamn dog show. Those bitches, <laughs> uh, Scottish terrier, my ass out of a bitch. I would want to show off. I might eat one. Um, I just don't, I think he was ready to go. They made, uh, uh Viacom did the old recruiting thing. You're wanted here. Right. You'll be valued here, you know, and, and of course we, we, all of us until, until this very day still have certain stigmas that we all have to handle in our own right about how our business is perceived. Oh yeah. That wrestling thing. Yeah. I, and I watched it as a kid, but so what you're saying is you're, you're too smart now as an adult to fucking watch wrestling, right? Pal. Yeah. What do you do for a living? Oh, state farm. How's that working for you? Make a lot of money. Excited about your career. I love my job. I love my career. And I had two ex-wives that didn't like my business either. That's why they're ex-wives. <laughs> so don't you get off your, get off your stool there, step down and uh, understand it's an entertainment entity It's a fictional television program. You got that? And also I'll tell you, I'll break this news to you. You know, all those great John Wayne movies, we rode those horses and cowboys shoot them up. Never lost a fight, blah, blah, blah. That was fake. John Wayne was not a cowboy. He was born in Iowa. He grew up in Southern California. He's not a cowboy. Hate to bust a bubble. Come on. So that, I think that they, they, they skirted that. They hurtled that, those issues and made Vince believe and feel, which I think was all, well, was all good that we want you guys and we're, we're going to help you grow your brand in ways that had that previously has yet to be done. And Conrad, somebody came to you with your very successful mortgage business, which I wholeheartedly folks, if you need to refinance. You want to capture the, there's some good things. This goddamn virus, man, you can refinance your home for an amazingly low interest rate Yep. and Conrad can help you. But if somebody came to you, Conrad and say, Hey, Conrad, we got some new ideas. We'd like to pitch to you, uh, to be our partner. And if you do, here's what we'll bring to the table for your business, new things, new marketing things, new exposure, et cetera, et cetera. You would have to listen to it. Of course. So I think that's all Vince did and what, and he liked what he heard. So, and then when the lawsuit went down <clears throat> without picking all the talking about a lawsuit, but you know, McDivitt came through again and WWE was able to walk away from the USA, take the deal on the Viacom, which is spike and move on. Let's talk about some news inside of wrestling. And this is going to be something we talk about a lot someday. I'm sure Meltzer would write to clear up rumors. Hunter Hearst Helmsley and China have indeed broken up. She confirmed this in a Dallas newspaper by saying she isn't seeing anyone. Part of the reason may have been that she wants to live in California because there's been interest in her for acting parts. And she felt the need to be located close by. And he just bought an expensive home in New Hampshire. Is Meltzer, uh, looking out for the company here or is he just Totally out of the loop. Do you think? I mean, regarding the breakup? Well, why they broke up? I mean, they broke up because. Oh, we uh, know where they broke up because Hunter started seeing Stephanie. Yes. And he got busted. Yes. 
How many Conrad as the former? I, I'm not, I feel like one of those guys in one of uh, the post-Trump news conferences. Former Secretary of uh, you know whatever. Sure. The former cabinet whatever. As a former head of talent relations, uh, I spent many, many uh, hours with China. Not in an intimate way, I should suggest. Yeah, we understand. That would, but you know, just business. Yeah. And she set, she would sit in my talent relations little my office, which at the TV uh, at the TV shoots, which is basically just a little locker room. Right. And uh, and she would I don't want to say she hid there. But she isolated herself there, like this quarantine, this virus. But man, I I had to talk to her and talk to her. She was her contract was coming up for renewal, and uh, she wanted a million dollars a year. And at that time, that was the maximum number that any talent in the company was making right. on a downside guarantee. That's nineteen thousand three twenty three a week, if I recall. That's a pretty good week of pay. And of course, she you could make a lot more than that. You know, Austin had a million dollar guarantee and he had one year, he made 12 million. So, uh, you could go with the upside was there. She wanted a million dollar guarantee because she felt like she was worth more being a female, being more unique than stone cold. And some of the other guys, there were only a handful of guys making a million dollars a year. Right. And she wanted that money and she was, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't move her off her number. And to be honest with you, uh, I was very leery of trying to retain her services under the, under the present, uh, atmosphere. In other words, how is it going to be for her to come to work every week and see Hunter and Stephanie together? Right. Because Joni was very emotional and very sensitive, believe it or not, very sensitive. And, uh, I used to t tell somebody before she passed away, I, I said, you know, she would come to my office and. She would get on these crying things, you know, God bless her. And, uh, I was trying to think who it was. Uh, there was, what's the, Fred Gwynn was on the Munsters, right? Fred Gwynn played the monster in the Munsters, a TV show, the sitcom, played the Herman Munster. I believe you. Yeah. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't have a clue. She laughed like Herman Munster or she cried like Herman Munster. Ha, 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 Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. God almighty. I mean, it's like, what am I, I look, I look around. The, I'm the only person in the room other than her. I'm looking around at the ceiling. What the hell have I got? I'm not Dr. Phil. I don't know what to say. So bottom line is I tried to negotiate whether she was setting her money. Uh, and I, I, she was just so upset. So distraught her breaking up with Hunter was a life changing deal for her. Yeah. She truly loved the guy. Right. And, uh, he, and, and to Hunter's credit, if it hadn't been for him, uh, then we would have never hired her right. simply because she was unknown. You know, she was a Northeast person and hundred the gyms and, you know, she had an amazing look and all that stuff. And she even, and she worked hard to improve her look with a, her jaw re reconstruction, all that stuff. But she was, a 
she was really, uh, that was a really tough time for her at that point in time. So even though I, I wanted to resign her, I never, I didn't get any pressure from Vince. He said, what do you think you're going to do with her? And he kind of left it up to me and I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to retain her services. We got a lot of money and time in her. So why wouldn't we try to retain her? So do what you want to do. He never interfered for in Hunter and Stephanie's defense. I'll say it for Vince. It's all business. Right. I said, but Vince, if I can't get a decent number, we may have to pass on it. He said, well, that's your call. So I couldn't get, I couldn't give her a million dollars a year. Could she have earned over a million dollars a year? She probably did a couple of times if I remember correctly, but that guarantee was just too, too big. And when you got a roster of hundred people, like you got five or six guys making uh, a million guaranteed, not one guy that I, that we were paying a million dollars a year. Conrad took their checks weekly. They all took it off the pay sheets because there you got all your money immediately as opposed to getting your weekly. And then at the end of the term, the one year term, you get, you get a check written for all the overages right. that you over earned. And I don't remember one guy just taking a weekly. I suggest you guys take weeklies instead of taking all their money, because that always gave them a tax fund at the end of the year, which some of them conveniently forgot for decades. <laughs> so, but she was an interesting cat, but that, that was a trying time, man. That was a, cause I, can I see you in a minute, JR? Sure. Joni, come on in. And then she's there. So it was very emotional. That was an interesting part of that job that I don't think sometimes fans really fully realize what that talent relations head does. I think who's the head of talent relations now there, Brad Blum. I thought it was uh Carano. Is it not? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's a, I think he's on the, in the on the management team. Felt bad for Carano having to fire all those people. He got the shit job. Yeah, Mark, no... call these 40 people and tell them they're done. Yeah, there's no, uh, no fun in that. I can't wait for us to talk about China in long form sometime. I'm just fascinated with her story. I think it's one of the most unique stories in all of wrestling and I know we'll have fun with it, but it, it just stuck out like a sore thumb that, you know, when Meltzer wrote, maybe the reason they broke up is Hunter bought an expensive house in New Hampshire and she wants to do Hollywood stuff. No, that's, that's not it. That bullshit. Uh, yeah. on, on the April 13th, uh, episode of as the wrestling world turns, things get rather interesting. And you and I have never spent any time talking about this. A WWF contracted wrestler Taz with two Z's defeats a WCW contracted wrestler, Mike awesome for the ECW world title. This is just fascinating to me. Of course, fast forward a little bit and we would see Taz drop that belt to Tommy dreamer at the ECW arena. Uh, Tommy had never been the champion. Of course he is the long time, quote unquote, white meat, baby face flag bearer of ECW. So it's a big deal for him to win it. And of course he immediately drops it. But before Taz gets an opportunity to get the belt back to ECW, Vince has him wrestle the world wrestling federation, heavyweight champion, triple H on SmackDown in Philadelphia, no less. And of course he loses, um, this to me is the most egregious Bruce Pritchard and he's our buddy, but he would always defend. No, that helped Taz because Hunter is the <laughs> world champ. No, that fucking killed Taz deader than Kelsey's nuts and the ECW promotion. Does it not? It didn't do it any favors. Kill might be a strong word. It didn't help anybody in that regard, except Hunter got a nice win in Philadelphia. We Taz was so underutilized, uh, when we hired him, you know, in, uh, in WWE, you know, I, for whatever reason, he was never in political favor. Uh, you know, uh, and I, 
and, and, and guys, you know, I don't, I don't know. Hunter may have had an issue. He's Hunter six, four. Taz is what? Five, eight, five, 10, five, nine. I don't know. Yeah. He's Whatever. under six foot. Yeah. So you got to, the perception was, even though Taz could snuff out 99% of the guys on the roster that, you know, he's, he's not, he's not convincing. Well, you know, if you watch any of the ECW stuff, Taz got over. Yes, he did. And people believed he was the human suplex machine. So I was very excited when we were able to hire him. You know, I remember him. I remember getting a, uh, a, a, a little callback notes, you know, like a little yellow pad. You got, you seen those from who the number and all that stuff from secretary, take the notes, take a message rather. And it was from Peter Cernicia. <laughs> he was so paranoid. Then he didn't want anybody to know it was him calling. So he used his real name, Peter Cernicia. Uh, and I think I may pronounce his last name wrong. I didn't, if I did no disrespect meant this is my Oklahoma ignorance, I guess. So, uh, but I was happy. Hey, I was, that was a big gift from me. I thought he, I was a big mark for his work in ECW. Heyman knew how to book him. So there again, you get these egos involved. Okay. He's too short. Says who, who the fuck are you now? Luthez? you know? Uh, and, and then the other thing is, uh, if, if guys that have been in too many real fights have never had their ass beat by somebody shorter than them happens all the time. It happens all the time on, on earth. And especially when you grew up like here in Norman, you think the football players screw with the little, the wrestlers that were 125, 130, 140 pounds. Shit. No, cause they got nothing to lose and every, nothing to gain everything to lose when the little guy whips your ass and makes you tap out and squeal like a pig under a gate. So, uh, I just thought it task got a bad hand coming in. Then of course he tears it. I think a bicep or tricep, something like that. And. And that slowed everything down and, you know, him getting that big win on, uh, over angle in the garden. Uh, I think other people would, would like to have had that opportunity to be Kurt angle, but it was the Taz that pointed out. So Vince in the beginning was very much, uh, a Taz proponent, but he got unconvinced over time by the other, the opinions on the other side of the aisle. Let's, uh. Let's promise to talk about that another time. Let's, let's move on the proposed two heart birthday show promoted by stampede wrestling on May 31st in Calgary was to include 26 performers from the WWF. And it was officially postponed last week after it became clear. It was a no win situation to hold the event. The actual announcement of this came in a Jim Ross update on the WWF website. When he stated the show had been postponed stampede wrestling after getting negative publicity, when Stu Hart said in Calgary sun article, that he wouldn't be attending the show and thought that due to it being so close to the one year anniversary of Owen's death, he didn't feel like it was appropriate to be celebrating. And he decided to quietly let the show die down. The company feeling is that since both Stu and Martha Hart, who are the ultimate baby face in the community had come out against the show, that it had become a no win proposition, even though the WWF had ordered all of its wrestlers who had signed up to honor their commitments, even though they wanted to pull out based on it becoming a controversial subject. We still talk of doing a Stu Hart holiday or birthday show rather in the fall feeling, maybe getting away from the month of may would eliminate some of the local media, bad taste regarding the one year anniversary of the death of Owen. And it said that stampede wanted the show on June 1st, rather than may 31st, just to get out of the month of may. 
but because of uh, travel problems with the wrestlers in the WWF, who would be in Tacoma for SmackDown on Tuesday and Calgary, isn't that bad of a flight there rather than going home for a day and then flying back and staying on the road. It just made more sense. Um, talk to me a little bit about this. It's stampede wrestling at this point is run by Bruce and, and Ross Hart. They're aware from the beginning that Brett and Martha are not going to be involved because the WWF is involved. And now you're sort of the monkey in the middle here. Are you not? I mean, when, when Bruce and, and Ross reach out to Vince and, and try to get him on board with this and it's carved off to you to, Hey, help make this happen. And then Stu says, no, I don't really want to, what, what do you, th- what do you remember of this? This feels like a mess. It was, it was a cluster. And, uh, I think the, I think the reasoning and the motivation for it originally was honorable. Uh, but I can understand the uh, hearts having a, some of them having an issue. Look, if you don't have the patriarch there to celebrate his birthday, what the fuck are we thinking? Right. Made no sense. So consequently, um, um, it was a bad idea to start with. I think Vince was trying to extend the, and olive branch considering, uh, the, the, the intertwined drama involving, uh, the hearts and the company. So I think his intentions were honorable. But it was just ill-timed. And I can tell you that if the talents are going to go to Calgary to honor Owen or to, or to be involved in a promotion involved Brett, then there have been less pushback. But you're taking a day off from them. I mean, just, well, it's just one day. They, they, sometimes people like to go and see their children, their wives, their families, and maybe do their laundry, sleep in their own bed one night. So the talents weren't over, overwhelmed with it because they didn't have the emotional attachment. Most of them, some of them did that worked at, for Stu and Stampede. But the bottom line is that most of them, uh, were not happy with the booking. They want to go home and recharge their batteries and all that stuff. So there was not a big, uh, I would say there's more of a collective sigh of relief for talents to not have to go on a day off to go uh, celebrate something, somebody's birthday that wasn't going to show up. So it was, it was a bad idea, Conrad, as it worked out. But it was, it was, I think it was well intended. And when you're, you know, when you get all the, at the time too, think about this, the intangible elements of that were the, the intra inter, uh, don't say interpromotional, the interfamily issues that were ongoing. You know, you had one faction that was over here. You had another faction over there and you had some in the family that didn't want to have anything to do with any of it because they just want, didn't want to, they were tired of the drama and all that stuff. So it was, a Good initial idea with, with good intentions. I felt like, but it was, but overall, once you started playing it out, it was a very, uh, it was a very poor idea. Let's keep it moving here. Let's talk about Mark Henry Meltzer word report. Mark Henry's being sent to OVW. I think it's pretty clear. They're trying to get him to quit. Come to think of it. If you think of the angles they've done with him from the, that's wrong right there. That's wrong. How the fuck would anybody say they're trying to get him to quit? Horse shit. That's so lame. That's that. Re- that's a, that's a total wrestling, uh, cop out bullshit. Well, they're trying to get him to quit. If we want him to quit, you set his ass at home and you unbook him. You take him off television. We had no desire whatsoever to get Mark Henry to quit. We still saw money in him. And eventually that money did that panned out. He was just slower to evolve than ideally uh, suited. Wanted, 
that's so that this stuff like that just aggravates the shit out of me because look, we, we spent a lot of time on Mark Henry. He needed to have, he needed to have more fundamental training. He was brand new. This is not, this ain't weightlifting as he'll tell you. So, and we had him, if we want to get rid of him, Conrad, why do we send him to so many different coaches and tutors, including Mark Henry going to Calgary and work with Leo Burke and Brett? Come on. Make no sense. So boy, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, check out what he cites as other reasons that he feels like the company's trying to make Mark quit. Come to think of it. If you think of the angles they've done with him from the BJ, from the transvestite to the relationship with May young, they've probably been trying for some time. Henry signed a 10 year contract for a reporter 2.5 million long before he ever had his first match back when he was training for the 96 Olympics and weightlifting. Uh, That's 250 grand a year, right? right? Yes. Okay. And that's not a bad investment to have. in a guy that you perceive at some point in time can be a main eventer. Yeah. As it worked out, Mark Henry became a, a, a world champion and a hall of famer. And we were trying to run him off. Look, I, I'm not going to defend the horse shit creative, including a BJ with a alleged transvestite, uh, or the thing with may young that was allegedly written for humor. Could have been Mark Henry or somebody else, but Mark Henry, so his face, one of the reasons we loved him and still do so expressive, you know, uh, and, and so he was, he was a candidate that, uh, stood head and shoulders literally and figuratively love anybody else in that regard. Did it help his character to be involved in this, in these horse shit comedy angles? Ha <laughs> ha No, it didn't. So, uh, but to try to run him off. Hey, look, if he, if he quit because he didn't like the creative, that might've made some people happy. It sure as hell would not have made me happy because we had time and money invested in this guy because athletic big men still draw a premium and you give them more time to evolve and to develop. Sorry for the smaller guys of the world who are probably better workers and better, uh, more athletic oriented, but that's the way of the world in the pro wrestling. Oh man, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling here. Let's talk about some other news in the observer representatives of New York state Senator Tom Liebus, who was contemplating introducing legislation that would mandate drug testing for all wrestlers to perform in New York and representatives of both WWF and WCW are scheduled to meet to work out a compromise in the proposed legislation. How big of a deal was this? I mean, obviously you guys have your own testing policies. People at different points have sort of poked fun at WCWs, but we'll table that for another day. But the idea that there's a Senator in New York who wants everyone on the roster before they perform to be drug tested. What's Vince's takeaway on that? Well, it's probably, probably stimulated by the, uh, constant r- ramblings and ranting of Phil Mushnick in the New York post. Right. And, uh, so it, he, he created a, an awareness of what he perceived to be a, uh, faulty drug program in WWE because he didn't like wrestling. He thought it was beneath him. He thought the people that were fans of wrestling were, you know, uh, just the sc- scum of the earth bottom feeders. And we all know that's not true. So he was an elitist. And the other thing you really didn't think it was going to get too far because much like today's politics, Conrad, these son of a bitches can't even balance their checkbook. They ain't got a clue how to balance a budget. And it's all about the politics of things. 
So this guy, all he was going to do is get some publicity and he did, but I never thought it was going to go that far. The cost of doing it. Of course, that's the only thing about our politicians. They don't worry about costs. They just write her up. We'll figure something out. Uh, and can you, no, I'm not going to the Trump thing, but another way, anyway, uh, uh, it, it was, it was a concern, not because we're trying to hide anything. It just became cumbersome. It was expensive for the state to do. Uh, it just didn't make a lot of common sense. Should we've had drug testing? Absolutely. You want to make sure you're at, and that's primarily for health, uh, for the, you know, to check, make sure guys are, or don't have any lingering issues that go undetected, but it wasn't, it wasn't a serious threat. And I think it was politically motivated. Uh, the guy was trying to get the Senator was trying to get himself over and it didn't work. Russell would also write Sean Michaels is expected to return to his old commissioner role sometime around the middle of the month. Jim Ross teased it in an internet report and Michaels wrote back that, uh, he'd be glad to be back, but nobody from the company had told him he would be back or given him a date. Uh, Sean did commentary on, on raw a few times in the summer of 98, since you were on a call with him during those shows, how do you think he did? Oh, good. He's a good communicator. Uh, you know, Sean is Sean going through so many life changes during that era, getting his life back together by, or trying to, you know, divorces, same shit. The guys go through divorces, you know, substance abuse, uh, injury, pain management, all these things that can be problematic. Obviously he has, Sean has a great feel for the business by and large when he's Sean Michaels, the character. Anytime you've seen him on TV lately, when he's done a promo, when he's in the Shawn Michaels mode, he's still as good as he used to be. When he tries to be something else, that personality doesn't resonate as brightly as the Shawn Michaels HBK persona. Michael Higginbottom is uh, a little bit lower key. So he, he did fine. Uh, it, it was just, we're trying to find a role. I think that's why he had got a call, uh, you know, creative, he had had a role in creative and quite honestly, it's like, I talked to Vince about, you know, he, Vince, he's your guy. He loves you. You love him because you say he reminds you of you when you were young, defiant and attitudinal. I said, I can get all the pieces together, but at the end of the day, you got to stretch those arms out and say, come on home. And that's going to make it work. So that's ended up, that's kind of what we did. Let's get to backlash. Uh, our opening match here on the pay-per-view edge and Christian are going to retain the WWF tag team titles, beating X-Pac and road dog nine minutes, 23 seconds. Meltzer would call it a strong opener. Uh, and he gave it uh, three stars and he would also note, although it wasn't noticeable X-Pac in particular got tired early due to asthma and called for the finish several minutes beforehand, which may have explained the finish happening so quickly. I got to tell you, I love edge and Christian and I didn't remember much of X-Pac and road dog as a tag team, but I thought this worked. What'd you think? Yeah. They're very underrated X-Pac and road dog. I thought were, uh, they're two old Taylor, two pros have been through the territory system, worked for a lot of different promoters and bookers. And uh, they're both students of the game, you know, uh, road dog from that great Armstrong family that says the wrestling was their life and still is by and large. Uh, but, uh, they were very underrated. I thought. But this is a match that was the reason for this match was to help build edge and Christian. 
they needed some quality wins. They needed some positive exposure. They need to be able to have the opportunity to maximize their minutes and working with X-Pac and uh, road dog, uh, really helped them in that regard. I thought it was a real good opener. I thought it set the tone for energy and excitement for the rest of the night. Uh, and I'm glad it went under 10 minutes. I'm not glad X-Pac had issues with his asthma, of course, but, uh, this show had, as we said earlier, some matches had propensity to go a little bit longer than they actually needed to go, which we'll get into. I got a couple in mind, but I thought this guy's had a great opener. And it just goes to show you that the role of the opening match on a pay-per-view is crucial. It is very, very important to book and score with a good, solid opening match booking. It's not like the old days of the territories where the opening match is a 10 minute draw. It's just, you blew that concept all to hell. You got to have that great opener and, and these guys are delivered. They really did all four really, really good talents and uh, high skill sets, which you just love. Xbox going to need some stitches when it's all over. Uh, at one point, Christian hits him with the ring bell and the bolt on the bell cuts him open hard way. So a uh, rough night for Xbox, but still a great opening match, three stars, but not as good as the next match, which on paper, I got to tell you, I was like. Uh, what to expect here? It's Dean Malenko and Scotty too hottie. It's for the WWF light heavyweight title, which was never really a, a prominently featured belt on WWE programming. Meltzer would say it was a fast paced, excellent match. And Malenko was the, and this is real, the unnoticed in ring star of the show. And I think you could go back and watch this and say, this might be actually one of Dean Malenko's best matches in the company. It gets four stars here. They get a plenty of time to tell the story, 12 minutes, 59 seconds. I, I think Dean Malenko has been criminally underrated. Uh, he, I felt like he was a big star, uh, in the cruiserweight division for WCW, but for whatever reason, it felt like it never really clicked in the WWF. Did Vince just not get Dean, uh, were the writers, did, did they not think that he had the quote unquote acting chops for their type of ha ha? Or why do you think Dean didn't get a more featured role in the company? Because he's five, eight Conrad and no overload. He did have an overload of external charisma, five, eight, five, seven. And even though when you know, Dean Malenko, when you talk to Dean, he's one of the most glib entertaining guys that I've ever met in wrestling. Absolutely. He is amazing personality, but if you don't try to get to know somebody, if you don't make the attempt as a writing staff to get to know the talents on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So you can actually see how they truly are and then establish who they truly are and then build on that. That's what you're going to get. Uh, you know, Dean is an amazingly important uh, team member at AEW. He's one of the coaches and, and those kids are, soak up his knowledge, which he has a wealth of very easily. I can't believe that guys like him and Finley were, were, were left WWE in the last, because Guys like that, that kind of experience and knowledge are, are irreplaceable. You can't go, well, let's go get a young guy. You get a young guy, go get a goddamn teenager. Get somebody that's got their learning smith. I don't give a shit. They're not going to bring the cachet that a guy like Malenko does to the equation. And the other thing, let's not forget, uh, Scotty too hottie, uh, Scott Garland, another guy very underrated, hell of a good hand, man. And he's so solid. And those guys told a logical story and if it wasn't the very best match on the card, it certainly was the most, uh, out of nowhere hit that we booked on that card the entire night. It just, like you said, Conrad didn't have high expectations going in, which may have added to its popularity because all of a sudden, Hey, 
this is good, man. These guys are really good. So it's just the, uh, cruiserweight thing was not, or the whatever light heavyweight, uh, it just was never given the respect because again, size matters in WWE in that era, uh, in more ways than one. Let me mention this gets the highest rating, uh, a star rating from Meltzer on this entire show. And if you're a fan of, uh, mate and taters wrestling, this is about as good as you're going to get here. Four stars, really a great match for an underrated performer. And, uh, maybe even a forgotten belt. The WWF light heavyweight title nearly had the cachet that the WCW cruiserweight title does, but this shows you what these guys are capable of. And Scotty too hotty, who's certainly over. You, you know, it more of a, a comedic persona, but this is a, a really good match. I can't recommend it enough. The next one. Well, it's a little different. It's boss man and bull Buchanan. They get a win over the acolytes in seven minutes and 41 seconds. It's a fast paced match. It's super stiff, but the previous two matches, as far as, uh, the uh, traditional wrestling, I think is not as good, but if you're into the big guys, this has got everything you need. Star in three quarters. Uh, the finish comes when we see uh, Bossman hit Buchanan with the nightstick, and Bull does a uh, a famouser off the top rope on Bradshaw for the pin. What do you think of this one? Oh, that's your answer. Uh, 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 what's that little thing? It's M E H. Meh. It was uh, hard work, physical. But when you got two teams in there like that, you know, uh, you, 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 I don't know that she, their specialties are, or it was brawling. And to me, that would have been an all crazy brawl from the get go. And it would have been over sooner than later. I just didn't feel that the story going into the match was strong. Then that ends up not being fair to the talents. They made the best of what they could with it, but the match did not have advanced fanfare. We talked about that earlier. You gotta have something that's got to build to it. And this had a very, if it had a build, it was very short and uh, very tepid, uh, effort was great. The styles kind of clashed to me. Uh, and I didn't, I was not a fan, big fan of the match. Let's, uh, let's mention before this match, there was a meeting of the minds backstage with Vince, making sure that the stooges are with him. Of course, we're talking about Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson also in the room, of course, triple H, Stephanie and Shane McMahon. After this acolyte match, the Hardy boys are shown talking about their upcoming hardcore title match, and they have an understanding about how they're going to compete for the title in this match. And then we see that, uh, crash Holly, who is the champ is talking to his cousin, hardcore Holly and uh, hardcore says, uh, he'll go after his cousin and slaps him. And the announcers are starting to talk about how Steve Austin has not yet arrived to the building. And the entire show is you saying something like. Steve Austin is set to arrive anytime, uh, but mm-hmm. he's still, so this feels a little bit like a TV show where, you know, we're teasing a thread that, Hey, stay tuned folks. Uh, Taz could be not Taz, but stone Cold should be here any segment now. And, uh, it's a pay-per-view instead. What's the, what's the thinking in, in the tease of he could be here anytime on a pay-per-view smart broadcasting Conrad. Why, what are you going to kayfabe Austin coming or not coming? And why haven't we seen him yet? Is he here? Is there a backstage? Why haven't I heard or seen from Austin? And, and, and plus that's what the old man wanted. Right. Continue to keep Steve's name alive, build the anticipation for uh, Steve's arrival. We knew he was there for God's sakes. So I'm a catering earlier today. <laughs> Having his 18th cup of coffee. Uh, 
seriously, it, that's all it was. This advanced promotion and to the critics, uh, credit, you know, I probably, uh, oversold that. I probably could have mentioned less, but, uh, you know, that was, that was my, that was my, my charge. That was my direction. So I did it. But so knowing me sometimes being the extremist that I am, you know, if one piece of chocolate cake, Conrad, you know what I'm saying is good. then that second piece of chocolate cake is money. I love you for that. Here's the hardcore <laughs> title match. Uh, Matt and Jeff Hardy, Perry Saturn, Bob Holly, and Taz It's 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Of course, crash Holly is in here and he's going to retain the title by scoring the uh, first pin. Uh, Meltzer would say everyone worked hard and stiff, but it was almost like a battle Royal. And then it was too many guys brawling at the same time, making it hard to watch. Jim Ross at least twice mentioned Taz as a former ECW champion. Uh, there is a, a stage fixture, um, you know, back in the day, they had different sort of themed pay-per-view sets and we've got crash and Matt Hardy climbing that thing. Of course, crash winds up falling first and, uh, he hooks his ankle and, and hanging backwards before eventually falling. And then Matt winds up delivering a plancha from 12 or 13 feet up. It's pretty cool when they could, I don't know, do something with those sets, but some of this stuff in hindsight, it's a little silly cookie sheets as weapons and things like that. What'd you think? Star in three quarters is what Meltzer gave it. I never was a big fan of the hardcore matches. I was big. I've always been a big fan of one-on-one matches that had a quote unquote hardcore rule. All the hardcore stuff is simply a way to help market, uh, the ECW brand hardcore, you know, right here, you know, I'm a big, uh, a big listener, regular listener, busted open on Sirius XM channel one fifty six. Uh, and you know, there, there's a lot of hardcore ECW oriented talk there because obviously, uh, Bubba Dudley, who by the way, has done a great job on that show as a broadcaster, very compelling broadcaster. Bubba's got a, He's found another skill set that he's good at. Uh, but he and Tommy dreamer is also a frequent guest there. Dave LaGreca was a, they're big ECW, ECW guys, uh, and, and so forth. And by the way, back on the, just real quick, throw this in Mark Henry, not only is in the hall of fame, several, uh, he's been a multiple time world champion. He's become a hell of a broadcaster on radio as well. I've always thought that Mark had a great future in Hollywood. So if you get a guy that's got his look and his, he's articulate, uh, he's got a very expressive face. He's coachable. Then if you get him a movie role while he's still under contract, he, he's all, all of a sudden he becomes a bigger star. All those things are on the table. So the, again, the theory of us trying to get rid of Mark Henry, uh, if was just not accurate and, and quite frankly, but, uh, the ECW thing was, you know, there was, that, that was an asset. It was a, it was a Vince was, you know, we owned it. Right. I mean, yeah. So you own the IP, you own the library, you own well, everything. You, you don't at this point, but you're going to, and, and you're certainly sort of backdooring them some cash and you have a good relationship with them. And if there's a subset of fans who like this, we got to have it somewhere on the card. You know, yeah. It's like a buffet, right? You got to have something for everybody. Exactly. And you and I love those goddamn buffets, Conrad. Ooh, boy. You think we'll ever get a buffet again or has coronavirus taken a buffet from us? <laughs> I don't know, man. Golden Corral may be in trouble, folks. <laughs> Let me ask you about something. Uh, I was going to say this about the hardcore thing real quick. Sure. It's become a joke. Right. And every unbooked underneath talent on the WWE roster seems to get a cup of coffee in a hardcore match. That's their exposure. 
So you got all these multiple hardcore matches of guys running around like Benny Hill or the Keystone cops or any other old, uh, any other comedic group that I can age myself even more with, uh, you know, it just, it's become a joke. Uh, it's, it's time to go make a sandwich or whatever. If you look back and you mentioned the talents in this damn thing, you know, Taz, yeah. Holly, Perry Saturn, the Hardys, the Hardys and, and, and the Hollies. Yeah. That was a good group. That was a good group of talent. So the up when you up the talent and their skill sets and how, and how proficient they are in the ring, <clears throat> the presentation all of a sudden takes an entirely different look and presentation and feel. And so at least, uh, at that time, the hardcore stuff was going to be kind of funny. Uh, some funny spots, like you said, the cookie sheets and things like that. I think Taz got knocked out in this match with a stop sign. It's just using gimmicks right. and taking head, taking head shots. So all of a sudden you got unprotected head shots. Uh, well, not good. We know that now. Um, and, but I thought it was, that was one of the better presentations, but getting a couple of stars out of a hardcore match under that, under that, those auspices is daunting. So I think that the rating for that match probably was about right. Had nothing to do with the effort, but the concept, the concept itself was a suspect, shall we say, to be nice. Let's, uh, let's pivot to something that I found in my research and I'll admit, I didn't know that this was a thing, but apparently Taz and, and crash Holly had some problems a few years prior to this. I guess crash goes to the ECW house of hardcore to get trained. Taz is basically running that at that point, they have some issues and Taz essentially kicks them out. Do you remember there being some talent relations issues between the two that you had to clear up? Nope. Didn't bring it to me. Uh, cause I would have solved it one way or the other. Cause that's what you got to do. Sure. You can't, you can't let lingering issues linger. Old issues need to go away. Bring closure as best you can. Uh, but you know, I may have heard the story, you know, that maybe crash had a bad attitude or something. And look, be honest with you, you know, Taz is not Mr. Congeniality all the time. No. So, I mean, he's, he, he's a product of his environment. And, uh, so he's a, a very aggressive, uh, and, and demanding in a lot of ways, but he's, he was a hell of a coach. He does a good job for AEW now when he, when he's, we're at T, when we have TVs where everybody's there, he does a good job of helping coach these kids up, uh, and, and which is a good, good for us. But no, I don't remember anything. And it, look, if it had of, it would have been taken care of very quickly, very succinctly, and we would have moved on. It's, uh, it's fascinating to look back at Taz in WWE cause it's just a totally different presentation very quickly from what we were used to with ECW. And as you said, a major miss mm-hmm. uh, backstage, we see Shawn Michaels, or I'm sorry, Shane McMahon being interviewed by Jonathan coachman, a man that's jumped off at me, uh, coach with hair. I hadn't seen that in a long time. I guess neither is he. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Shane is the referee in the main event and he's happy that his dad's given him his, the, uh, the, this responsibility, but he's ending this very quickly saying, Hey, I got to get ready. The match is coming up. And next up, we get a video package for big shows match with Kurt angle. And this is the start of big show becoming a comedic baby face. You know, for a long time, he was, he was the big heavy heel for the McMahon clan. And uh, he's been doing imitations for several weeks leading up to this match with Kurt angle and angle is getting frustrated that big show is letting his talent quote unquote, go to waste. And, uh, angle is doing one of his arrogant heel pre-match promos, uh, saying that 
uh, like George Washington, he cannot tell a lie. Don't forget we're in Washington, DC. He says, big show is a waste of talent. And, uh, angle said these people should be ashamed of, uh, of reelecting Marion Barry he says, look it up. And he said, <laughs> some people are liars and cheaters and look at the president. And he called him, uh, himself a hero. Like he always does. The president at that time folks was Bill Clinton and Marion Barry was the mayor of Washington DC. who got pop uh, smoking crack on camera. That's a real thing. That's uh, a real thing. But the thing. A thing. This is fun. I'll be honest. I kind of forgot this was on this show. And when I saw Big Show come out, well, first of all, when they played Real American, Hulk Hogan's old theme song from the 80s. And let's not forget, WCW is not out of business. Hulk Hogan is still headlining pay per views for WCW, at least for a few more months until July. And now we've got Big Show coming out to his theme music with a bald wig on with a, a blonde mullet. And he's got the yellow and the, and the boots and it says showster instead of Hulkster really just tremendous cosplay by big show. Super fun. The crowd is all over it. And, uh, it's written in the observer Vince McMahon specifically told the announcers not to mock Hogan as the feeling was doing. So would, would be seen as coming down to the level of competition. If there was a mock, it was Jim Ross noting that when the crowd chanted Hogan, it's been a long time since so many fans in one building have chanted for Hogan, which is a knock at WCW, not drawing shit for houses at the time. I loved this version of big show. And I thought he had a home run here. Of course he does get the win two minutes, 37 seconds. It's essentially a comedy squash and maybe not the best use of Kurt angle on pay-per-view, but good Lord, what a great and entertaining segment. This was at least for me. what do you think? If you look at it strictly for entertainment and not uh, wrestling heavy, athletic, heavy, uh, in ring, bell to bell, heavy, it was a hit. And I think that's what it was uh, drawn out to be. I I've, I've always felt that, uh, we in WWE at the time could have done a much better job of highlighting big show more with a giant, more with an attraction wrestler, more with the Andres, the attraction guys, crusher, Jerry Blackwell. Uh, Abdul the butcher, any other attraction type guy, big John stud, any of these larger than life characters that have a limited skill set and only do it, you know, that the, that just, there's certain things they could do really, really well, but how many times can you see that? My point is big show got grossly overexposed in, uh, in, in, a, in that era of WWE and he could have got over much bigger with less exposure. Or, or, or the exposure could have been not live in front of the audience every single week because he loses his specialness when he sees somebody every single week. And, uh, so I thought that was a, a, a error over uh, looking back on it and using hindsight as 2020, but he, he folded off real well. And, and I think it, it's things like that have led to things like that. Meaning the entertainment stuff, the comedy have led to big show having his own, uh, a sitcom on Netflix. He, he's in the, he's basically the same kind of role. He's a comedic character. He's uh, Paul White's got a great sense of humor, uh, very sensitive guy and, and he's a smart guy. So, uh, I just didn't think at that time, a one off here and there being, uh, but he was doing all these impressions and he was very good at it, but I don't know how, it, I don't know. I don't think it helped build that character as much as, uh, that I would have liked in my own mindset, but nonetheless, they pulled it off. Kurt was showed great entertainment skills. He got it over. 
and Big Show uh, pulled off the Hogan thing. When I saw that, when I watched the show back, I, that, it just jumped out at me. I'd forgotten about all the little nuances that, uh, that Big Show did because he had been doing those impersonations in the locker room or at catering or wherever for a long time. He, he was good at it. He did a lot of different talents. So, uh, but I, I just felt like maybe we could have gone, got more money out of him by being, uh, not as big, big and cuddly as we were trying to make him the big, nice baby face who, you know, he's, he's still seven feet, 400 pounds. I'm going to sell that first instead of a sense of humor. Next up, we get a video package airing, uh, I guess the hype for the TNA with Trish Stratus versus Dudley boys match. And the story here is that Trish has taunted Bubba Ray Dudley. Um, of course, Bubba Ray Dudley in this era is running around power bombing everybody, including may young, which we've, we've covered here on the show. And he's putting these ladies through tables, but when he's tried to put uh, Trish through a table, she started to kiss his head and kiss on him. And then he went into a trance that allowed uh, <laughs> TNA to come save him. Uh, or save her rather, and, uh, put the beat down on Bubba. So this is interesting to me because we've seen him as this, uh, he gets in this trance and he destroys everybody, but a little, a little sugar from Trish Stratus changes everything. Doesn't it? Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, dang right, man. I am looking at a, uh, in my office here. Now I'm looking at a little grill. Uh, it's a little, it's a replica grill. Like, a, like you would take out like your green egg, but only a more traditional grill. Right. And, uh, I was working on the cookbook and doing some other things and always big griller. And so, uh, she gave me that as a gift. I still got it. Let me see what it says here. JR. Thank you for your support and for believing in me, Trish Stratus. I kept that all these years. That's been 20 plus years. It got lost in the moves of things. And, uh, she was one of Jan's favorites too, by the way, but nonetheless, uh, I got here in my office. I, I still think about it. She was a, she was such an easy hire. She wanted to do it and she had the great look. You know, she had that Pam Anderson look, uh, to me and Pam Anderson at that time was, was, uh, smoking hot after being discovered at a, at a CFL Canadian football league game. You know, she became a huge star. So. Uh, she, Chris had, Trish had a, some that's a similar look, what a sweetheart, but we could tell at least she was going to be a bigger star than anybody in TNA, TNA test and Albert, uh, they're good hands. God bless test. He passed too early, but she was the diamond in the rough in that whole scenario. And Bubba Dudley helped facilitate, uh, Trish becoming a star with a very unique and innovative rub. So I thought that presentation was, uh, was really interesting and, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it, but I've always enjoyed the Dudley's work and, and, uh, Trish is one of my all time favorites. So it worked out for me. I liked it. This match is 11 minutes and four seconds. Uh, the entire build of course is to the, uh, the, the table spot. I mean, that's what everybody's looking for. Uh, but I think people really are into this whole Bubba and Trish thing. Eventually Trish gets on the apron, takes her jacket off and starts wiggling and Bubba loses interest in the match. Uh, eventually he goes after him or he goes after her. She kisses him again. Uh, he shakes off the magic powers of the kiss and instead power bombs are off the top rope through the table. She does a stretcher job and, uh, this is written in the observer. She apparently has asked for Bubba to not protect her as obviously as he's done with other women. 
She'd agreed to take more of the bump, which he was a little reluctant to do, but ultimately agreed to it. I guess she wanted to get over as someone who could do her own stunts. Two stars, uh, Tess and Albert get the win, but what everybody was looking for was Trish to go through a table and it happened. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, a lot of women, a lot of men that were green in the business just got into the business. Uh, would have been very, very reluctant and leery of taking a power bomb from anybody. Thank God it was Bubba because he didn't know how to execute it without killing someone. That's kind of the name of the game in this world of pro wrestling. Make it look like he killed him, but it doesn't. Uh, but I always admired her courage and her commitment to be not just being a, uh, well, she's a pretty version of Moolah. She's just, she's a good female wrestler and she's always been the mid middle mid card. Let's not forget that. And all the great talk and, and, and rightfully so, and deservedly so of, how, of the, uh, ladies like Charlotte and Becky, uh, Rhonda, the, the WrestleMania main event, all great things. But before that, there was a show called Monday night raw that was, was getting good ratings and they did research that's the last segment of the show for the big stuff. And remember that, uh, Trish was in the first ever, uh, closing segment of raw as a, uh, being a female. So she was a groundbreaker and that attitude that she's taken that power bomb was one of the reasons that she facilitated that for herself. Really a total, a great pro, great pro. And, and uh, so proud of what she went to the hall of fame. It's like seeing your, a daughter or your niece or something like that, going to the hall of fame. I just was very, very proud of her accomplishments there that night. Uh, when uh, she went to the hall. Let's, uh, Let's keep it moving here. Oh, I guess we should mention, we see Trish loaded into an ambulance. Uh, and then there's a car pulling up It's Eddie Guerrero and China. And he's informed by a referee that he has to go to the ring right now to defend his European title. And the story is that, uh, Eddie was just at his prom and got back just in time for him to defend his European title, uh, beating SA Rios. Yeah. Because Conrad, you know, that drive from El Paso after a prom to Washington DC is, is challenging. It is even, with, even without ball. traffic. Well, maybe, maybe not in this quarantine era. You might be able to zip right through there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Meltzer, I guess the entire GED and prom gimmick was only for an excuse to rip China's dress off since they've never shown her in her underwear before. Uh, Guerrero and China came in driving a 57 Chevy Chevy to make sure everyone recognizes this is the single most stereotypical racial character, uh, in the industry. Um, he's arrived late. So they go to the ring in prom clothes and Guerrero actually wrestles in dress shoes and dress pants, but wearing white socks, uh, pretty good <laughs> match here for what it is. S.A. Rios is, uh, uh, not quite the performer yet that Eddie Guerrero is. Uh, also it's worth noting S.A. Rios is not here by himself. He's got a very young Lita in his corner. Uh, and after the match, Rios would drop kick Guerrero into China. And as she was stunned, Lita tore her dress off two and three quarter stars. Of course, Eddie retains. I thought it was okay for what it was, but, uh, we know that, that Eddie Guerrero is capable of so much more than some of this, but I guess we gotta be, uh, gotta have a little seasoning. Gotta be a little entertaining. Gotta have a little sizzle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little JR seasoning makes everything better. And, and, uh, Eddie, yeah, it, look, it was set up. This was set up to get China over, right? That was the motivation for this angle. Well, that's not right. It was a reservoir all time. I can't believe they do that. That's stupid. That goddamn booking's crazy. Okay. Uh, but there's gotta be priorities in any match. You can't have the, you can't have multiple agendas in any pro wrestling match and expect it to quote unquote, get over. You can't, uh, you've got to have a, a focus 
and you got to have a, I mean, laser light. Here's what we're trying to do in that match. It was all about the continued evolution of Joni Lauer and, uh, and the, and she and Eddie, again, when I heard the, with the creative about, we're going to put Eddie and China together, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was crazy until I saw the natural chemistry they had on camera. Right. And, and when you see that, well, well, th- this is a good idea, Jr. This, you know, you weren't right on this one because that was, this, this is going to work and it did work. And so, uh, but I thought the, I thought the match was better than, uh, two and three quarter stars. I liked it, but of course I'm an Eddie Guerrero fan through and through. And, and, uh, so, but nonetheless, it was a unique story. The white socks, the, the crazy ass clothes going his front. Getting, he got his GED Conrad, right? He got his GED. <laughs> so he's celebrating at the prom. He never attended with the eighth wonder of the world. Uh, so I thought it was fine for what it was. It, was, it wasn't a closing match. It wasn't serious content. It was a little bit of a, let me up type matchup. SA Rios is not with the company too much longer after this. Why don't you think things worked out better for him and the company? He had some issues. I don't remember what they were exactly. It's been so long, 20 years ago, but it wasn't because he, he, he wasn't a good hand. He, but he sometimes was a little bit careless. Uh, could be when you're doing a lot of high flying stuff, you cannot be sloppy. You cannot be sloppy because not only does it look bad and you're in a magnified area when you're up in the air and you're doing things where they're strictly focused on somebody in a moving target fans will, their eyes will draw to things that are moving. And, uh, sudden movements or fast movements or uh, multiple move sets, uh, is a, is a big thing. But the other issue that's more important perhaps than that is the fact that high risk sometimes can lead to big injuries if they're not executed correctly. He might've been a little bit, uh, I don't recall, you know, Bruce might remember that better than me, but I think he might have been a little bit careless at times. And I do think there was something that tells me, and I hope I'm wrong or I hope I'm not saying out of school, but it seemed like there were some substance issues that might've been, uh, in question at that point in time. I'm just not, rem- I don't remember, but he was, a, he had a good look and, uh, you know, we were trying to tap into more of a Latin audience. Uh, so the kid had talent, but he just didn't seem like he was a, the social slash cultural fit in the locker room that uh, you ideally might've wanted, but I just don't remember all the exact reasons for his downfall, but. He wouldn't miss a beat when he left, but uh, nonetheless, I thought his match with Eddie was very solid. Let's get to the next match. But before we do, let's say that we go backstage, triple H and Stephanie are interviewed by coachman in the locker room. Uh, he says he's going to prove that he's that damn good. Of course, Vince is here too. And he said, uh, most of us were surprised that Steve Austin wasn't here yet. And Vince said, Austin may have encountered some transportation difficulties. So wink, wink, nice little tease. Uh, next up, we get Chris Benoit retaining the intercontinental title against Chris Jericho by DQ. Uh, they go 15 minutes and eight seconds. And Meltzer would say this was an excellent match until a lackluster finish. The crowd heat wasn't there until the latter stages. It is a great match, but the finish, maybe not the best we've ever seen. Um, Benoit's going to give Jericho a snap suplex on the belt goes for a diving headbutt, but Jericho grabs the belt and puts it in Benoit's path and Benoit's nose smashes open. Uh, he's bleeding badly, uh, immediately on contact. And then white calls for the DQ on Jericho. Uh, Jericho puts the referee white in the, in the walls of Jericho after the match until other refs break it up. And Jr. at first says it was uh, a DQ, but it was a bad call because the cameras totally missed the finish. 
But then after the replay of the show, the finish perfectly. And he changes his tune and says, it was a great call. That's all, of course, directly from the observer three and three quarter stars. I like the match. I like the post-match. I would have liked to have seen a clean finish, but it was quite the visual to see him busted open with the belt. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it. I like those. I think those guys had amazing chemistry, Chris and, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, Chrissy and, uh, and Chrissy, Chris and Chris, two Canadians. Hey, don't think that doesn't mean something to these guys. When you got two Canadian wrestlers, uh, have a high profile match on the pay-per-view in WWE. Don't think they didn't try to go out there and kick the ass of their compadres from, uh, south of the Canadian border. They did. And it was, a, a and that was, that's, those are great. That's great motivation, and it's good for the business. I think anything that motivates you to raise your game uh, in a positive way. I I've always believed that when you get guys that are as skilled as Jericho and Benoit, the only time you'll do a DQ finish is if you're leading to a major match that has a no DQ stipulation or where disqualifications are addressed in the structure of the match, uh, because when you, when you, sometimes when you do a finish, like it's a DQ, here's my theory on that. Conrad, the theory is, is that if my fan, if my favorite wins, I'm happy. If my favorite loses, I'm, I'm not happy. I'd rather either be happy or not happy as to be, uh, unfulfilled as to be sitting on a, on a, on a emotion that left me feeling a little bit empty, like you're apparently felt on that finish being a, a DQ. The DQ was kind of creative. Yeah, of course. And I, and I, the fact that we didn't get the camera, the shot on the camera, the first go around, which necessitated, or, you know, necessitated me to say, I think it was a bad call because I, I didn't see it or I didn't see all of it. Then as you mentioned, the replay showed it, uh, that it was a good call. And then I corrected my, my deal, uh, my my, my theory. But I, I thought those guys had a hell of a good match. I love the chemistry of it. Uh, it was just, it was a uh, fun to watch it again. Uh, both guys are really, really, uh, strong performers. Uh, they work snug. It was good, man. It was a good match and it was good to see uh, the two Chris's, uh, do their thing and represent Canada in a, in a big way. And they did, they, they it was nice. Go watch it. This is, uh, in my opinion, um, if I think if I had a different finish, I, I might say it was the best match on the card as it is. I have it right behind the Dean Malenko, but you know what you're getting with these two. Do you not? I mean, when you just yeah. see on a card, Jericho Benoit, you know, well, that's going to be a fucking barn burner consistency and, and they're consistently good. <laughs> it's just a matter of how good will they be tonight is, is all the, are the stars all aligned, right. but again, but again, these guys didn't have a lot to say about the finish. I, I eat nothing. Sure. Sure. I'm going to look for a way to get a winner. I want to, I want, I either want the emotion of happiness or, or disc or unhappiness, discomfort, uh, anger, uh, angst. One of the two emotions, not indifference and oh God, it's how, oh, I didn't like that. I just should have been, who, why'd they do a disqualification? Because back in the day when these disqualifications were more, uh, in tune, uh, the, the back information on what wrestling is or isn't was not as clarified. There was no social media. Now, if you have a disqualification finish, whether it's well-timed, well-executed or whatever, many fans look at it as lazy booking. And quite frankly, I agree with them sometimes. 
you can't make everybody happy. So somebody should have lost. And in that case, it would have been Jericho, right? Cause Benoit was the champion. Yeah. And I can tell you, you guys say, Hey guys, uh, Chrissy, I need you to put Benoit over. He's going to retain the title. I need a one, two, three. So you guys figure out something and bring it and let's talk about it. And they would come back with, here's what, here's what the office wanted. You give them the guidelines. But instead it was like, well, can we, I'm sure what it was is nobody could really agree on what they wanted to do. Or maybe it's maybe the office said, we don't want to beat Jericho beating Jericho and getting screwed adds more fuel to the fire than an indifferent benign disqualification. That's not going anywhere just to get us out of tonight's uh, conundrum. So, uh, but I'm with you, man, that if the finish had been a little bit uh, on more on point to where it was advancing the story. Uh, then I would have been like you, it'd have been higher rated match. Probably one of the best matches on the show as it was, it still was one of the best matches on the show. Sure. It just left the fans feeling kind of empty with the disqualification finish. And I'm glad that hopefully, uh, all promoters and promotions will take, will take advantage of this. You gotta, you gotta admit, man, fans know a lot of information are smart. They're, they're knowledgeable. They're educated. That's why we have such a good audience because Conrad, you're so goddamn intelligent. Oh my gosh. You know, we do have one of the smartest audiences around because we get to break down sort of the nuances of, of all of this, but to be clear, I'm cool with the DQ finish. I just think it should be on TV. Like if you're going to make me pay 30 or $35, I, I want to see a fucking winner. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's good thought. I agree with you. Next up, we see a video package airing showing Vince screwing the rock out of the world title at WrestleMania. They show clips from TV leading in this match with Linda McMahon saying that Steve Austin is going to be in the rocks corner. And then on the final, uh, SmackDown before backlash, Austin blows up the DX bus, uh, which is a great visual. And then the rock is interviewed by Michael Cole and, and rock says, rock says, no matter what he's walking out as the WWE champion. And it doesn't matter who he has to go through. He'll go through them all. Cause he's making history tonight. They get plenty of time, 19 minutes and 24 seconds, uh, as a reminder, Shane McMahon is the referee. Vince and Stephanie are in Triple H's corner. And McMahon announces, you know, saying, Hey, we've always said the card is subject to change. Well, Austin won't be here. And throughout the show, they've tried to stack the odds, showing that Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe have aligned themselves back with Vince and that Austin mysteriously hasn't arrived, which, of course, essentially guarantees that he will. And JR is on commentary is bringing up internet rumors that Austin might be turning on The Rock. Um, Vince is going to keep interfering as you might imagine. Eventually though, we, uh, we see a run in, uh, of Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. They're coming out with referee shirts. And, uh, you would mention that perhaps Patterson got back from the parade early and, uh, Patterson and Briscoe attack the rock and, uh, you know, what's coming. Eventually we see Steve Austin's music play. And he's going to come down, hit triple H Patterson, Briscoe, Shane, Vince, and triple H with hard chair shots. And, uh, eventually it leads to a little bit of help with Linda McMahon and Earl Hebner and uh, rock uses a spine buster people's elbow. Hebner counts the fall rock is your new world champion and he's celebrating, but he's interrupted by Austin's music and they tease the idea they're going to fight, but instead they toast each other. And, uh, it's sort of left that, Hey, we're going to do something in the future. They start playing rocks music again, as the show goes off the air and that's it three and three quarter stars. And this match essentially sets up a rematch, uh, for an Ironman match between the two at the next pay-per-view and rock and triple H have had a long rivalry going back seemingly to the beginning of rocks run here. 
but what a finish to the pay-per-view, you know, you get the big explosion with, oh my God, he is here. So it makes sense. This whole tease all day about where's Austin, where's he at? And here's the big payoff. You saw it this week for the first time in 20 years. What'd you think? I liked the match. I liked, uh, you know, you, you can make an argument. There's too much, uh, interference and too many outside elements at play that may have cluttered it for some people's tastes. Uh, but I, I liked uh, what, uh, Dwayne and, uh, and Hunter did. I, I thought they had a real good, good outing. They, they had good chemistry as well. You know, I saw, uh, here a few weeks ago, not that long ago, uh, Hunter being acknowledged for celebrating 25 years in the uh, wrestling business. Is that 25 years in WWE? I guess. Yeah. 25 uh, years I, in WWE. I think he started yeah. in 95. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I knew it was somewhere along in that neighborhood where rock had acknowledged it, which was nice, but they had good chemistry and uh, they, 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 they were on the same page. Basically, uh, I thought, you know, I remember speaking of Hunter, it was Evansville, Indiana. He and I sitting on one of those anvil cases, the cases that you use to carry your equipment in to keep you know camera equipment, lighting and things to keep them from breaking and very, very secure. They're very heavy. He and I were sitting on an anvil case, hammering out the final, the final, uh, uh arrangements on his new contract to where he got the magic number, you know, uh, of a million a year. And, uh, and he deserved it. I mean, it wasn't a big deal there, but getting to that number, Vince didn't, Vince did not authorize me to do those million dollar downsides very often. And, uh, and Hunter got his, he, and like I said, he deserved it, but he was, he was, I remember him, for some reason, it still sticks with me. He looks at me and it's the same way to the boys in the office, the boys in the office, fucking excuses. It's the office, the fucking office screwed my goddamn push up, Conrad. I hate that. The office. It's always somebody else. This place responsibilities. So anyway, uh, he says, he, he, he very stern looked at me on the eyes. Are you sure nobody's got a better deal? I said, yeah, I'm very sure. Are you doubting me? No, I just want to make sure. I said, okay, well, you're sure. Nobody in this company has a bigger downsize guarantee than you will have when you sign that contract. Is that what you wanted to hear? Yep. Then he shook my hand and, and off they went and, and here, there he goes. Uh, now if you made a million a year, it'd be a giant cut in pay. Sure. So, uh, but I remember that very well, but they, had, but back to the original topic, him rock and, and the hunter had great chemistry uh, and they're both in their, you know, prime time, you know, they were just, they were just as good as they're going to get just about. Uh, and I, I enjoyed the whole presentation, but again, if there's any negatives to it, it may be simple. The simple fact, as I mentioned, there could have been more outside interference and more distractions than some people's tastes would allow. I liked it. I liked it too. And I think a lot of our listeners, uh, feel the same way. Uh, we asked, Hey, do you guys have a question for JR about backlash 2000? Drop it here. If you'd like to ask a question about next week's episode, and let me tell you, it's going to be great. It's wrestle war 1989, uh, which is the blow off of the steamboat flare trilogy and the introduction of Terry funk. Just great stuff. Can't wait to talk about that one. If you've got a question, just drop it at JR grilling. That's our Twitter handle. It's at JR grilling. Uh, but one of our questions, I guess one of the more predominant feelings came from just Chris. He says at the end of the show, 
Did you like me feel like backlash 2000 was a better show than WrestleMania that year? We just covered WrestleMania where there was a McMahon in every corner. And I think most fans felt like the involvement of Steve Austin, the big rock celebration rather than Hunter retaining, this is a better finish to a show. What say you? Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say it, it was a better show from the standpoint of, uh, the sizzle and the presentation, the grandiose nature of WrestleMania, uh, the specialness of that event. But, uh, I can tell you that, um, the in ring product from start to finish was badass. And I, I could see people having, making a very valid argument that the bell to bell uh, on backlash 2000 was actually a notch above, uh, the bell to bell on WrestleMania in 2000. And, 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 but I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know if, if people are going to say, well, he's knocking the WrestleMania. No, I'm really not knocking. You're not knocking it either. It's just, it's a good question. And quite frankly, if you're, if you're managing correctly, if you, you've got dang Conrad, you want to improve every show should get better. Every, every, we should be better every time, but there's always going to be more sizzle right. at WrestleMania than any other pay-per-view, but the stake is still going to be the stake. And that always is what concerned me the most and what interested me the most still does this very day. So, uh, I can see a very valid point being made bell to bell, probably a better show than WrestleMania overall sizzle. Nothing compares to WrestleMania. Chris miles writes in, why was this main event chosen for backlash 2000 instead of WrestleMania 2000? It seems like this would have been one of the more memorable WrestleMania main events of all time. I think that's really what people hang their hat on. They just didn't like the a McMahon in every corner and a four-way match as the main event. I understand without Austin, you feel like, man, let's just throw everything at it. But I do think this main event was better than the WrestleMania main event. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the multiple person main events at WrestleMania, uh, normally fall a little short of expectations because it's hard to, in that case, in 2000, you got to try to get spotlights on four people. That's hard to do and, and maintain it, uh, and keep the audience's interest. Uh, cause there's, there's constant things going on is there's not a singular focus. It's, it's got, you got wrestler one, two, three, and four. And I, I'm a, I'm not a big advocate of that. Uh, I mentioned earlier, the Charlotte, the, the triple threat match, the ladies had, uh, that's an exception to the rule. There have been a few others, but not many. I would say more often than not the multiple person matches at WrestleMania is uh, a shortcut on booking and uh, a little bit lazy, quite frankly, to my, in my estimation, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I think it's, it's not, that's not the, it's not attraction driven. Oh, it's got all the star power and all this. Maybe we overvalued having a McMahon in every corner, but I think having four people in the main event is, is not the right formula, quite honestly. So, uh, and it, it and it also Conrad answered our, our, our fans question, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight and, and rebook this whole goddamn thing. Of course. So why did they do that? I don't know. It felt this, it fit, it fit the story. It fit the story. And maybe the McMahon thought that they, that the, 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 we were not ready yet for the, uh, Austin or excuse me, the, uh, rock and triple H match. And we saw it unforgiven. We need to get to that spot with a backstory again. Remember pay-per-views are built around the, uh, build up. So you got a good build up there and the attractions, uh, 
trade reviews are all attraction driven and having the rock who hadn't been the champion in a long time and having uh, triple H who he had great chemistry with and was the champion and was red hot. That's the attraction you're looking for. So to me, it made sense, but I, it's easy to say in hindsight, well, I'd have done this. Of course, a lot of things would have done it. I can tell you that a lot of things in my life I'd have done differently. If I, if I had hindsight, uh, opportunities. Let's talk about the poster. We got lots of questions about this because, uh, well, here's surfer dude. He says, this is the first WWF pay-per-view to feature Jericho on the promotional poster. Every other poster from 99 or 2000 features the classic main event stars like rock, Austin, undertaker, mankind, etc. But this seems to stand out the intercontinental champion. I wonder if JR remembers anything about this. I have a theory on this, Jim, uh, once upon a time, Chris was in the main event of WrestleMania 2000. There was even promotional uh, stuff dropped out there that had him on the poster on the DVD cover, things like that before eventually he was replaced with Mick Foley. It feels like maybe the original plan was coming out of WrestleMania. We're going to try something new. We're going to go with Jericho. And when that changes, it's too late. The promotional poster for this show had already been out there. So let's just roll with it. Yeah, it was bad planning. Need jerk changes. Uh, the, the one thing about the wrestling business and you know, I know you, I, I don't communicate uh, not intentionally with Bruce cause he's busy. He's been my friend for 30 years and you know, I would text occasionally. The issue is, is that poor planning is a, is a, is an, is a, is a, is a an enemy. It, you know, I, I, Bruce, Bruce Pritchard my 30 year friend and, and a great podcaster here on, uh, on the, on Pong, on Conrad's uh, conglomerate is a, uh, he could tell you that one of the most frustrating things in wrestling in, in, a, in an administrative slash creative role is the constant change people changing their mind, changing their philosophy. You know, I've been told me one time, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was one of those. So, solemn deals. Uh, you know, he told me about my, me, my situation. Well, I, I brought you in, but I've changed, you know, I brought you in. You, 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 this is the first time I got let go. Uh, but I've changed my mind. We're going a different direction and we're going, and we're going in a different direction and you're not in my plans. That was it. That was it. So, uh, but I'm sure Bruce would say the same thing, uh, certainly in confidence that constant change. And all these, damn it, all these, the last person you talk to gets the influence type bullshit. Then talent's coming in on the day you're going to shoot it and they're not happy about something. So they go to the, they go to the old man and they're going to lobby their case when they could have done it a week before, or they could have been, they could have actually contributed to their storyline and added some elements that they do like to it. Uh, so this is really, really frustrating. So the Jericho thing was. You know, obviously, and it certainly was, it shows you a lack of foresight and vision that somebody thought that Jericho was going to be overbooked to be in that match. He didn't deserve it. He didn't, he didn't have the clout. He didn't have the star power, whatever. It was ridiculous. And, uh, but you know, that's, that's just every place I've ever worked, maybe with the exception of Watts. When Watts thought an idea through, he went through every phase of it. He put, he played it all the way out. He knew where he was going to start the angle. He knew where he was going to end the angle. And, uh, he was going to count on the talents to get him from the start to the end with the creative, their creative input. Uh, but every other 
wrestling company I've ever worked in has the same propensity to change their mind at a moment's notice, simply because some of them believe, well, it can't be this easy. This can't be the answer. So I need to, we need to change. Let's fix this. Was it, we haven't even done it. Is it broken? You know, so anyhow, uh, that was, that's been a, that's the issue there that, that Jericho fell out of favor for some reason. Uh, but who, who was in that four-way match? Big show, right? Yeah, it was, rock. uh, it was rock and Hunter big show and Foley. Okay. Here's the deal. Hate to harp on this shit. Uh, Hunter six, three, six, four. Yeah. Big show seven feet. Yeah. Rock six, four. Yeah. Foley six, three or four. Then you get, you put Jericho at under six feet in that, in that, in that, uh, mix and on, from the eye test, then that don't look right. It's going to expose Chris for being smarter than he actually is. So stupid. It's a, every wrestlers and promoters should all be lawyers. Cause then some of it should come up with a million stories to make something in their, their opinion, right. Or justify their take on things. It's amazing to me, but, uh, but it look at how Jericho overcame that, that slap in the face. And they show a disrespect, uh, cause he's one of the biggest stars in the world right now. Thank God he's working for us in AEW, but nonetheless, he's a, I, I always thought that that was a, that was just a lot of lack of respect for Chris's ability and what we had in Chris. And yeah, I was partial because I, Jerry Briscoe and I went and recruited him and I signed Chris and got him in and all that good stuff. And he's one, became one of my best friends over the years, including this very day, but I thought that was just totally unfair and, and actually it was bad business Conrad. I mean, from the simple thing that all the point of all the, all the posters, all the promotional print promotional material had Jericho promptly displayed as, as you said, as one of the key players. Yeah. So all of a sudden he got, his name goes from above the title to also featuring, you know, that kind of deal. So it, it was bad, but here's the deal. Jericho made it through. Yes came out on the other side, yep. which is much to the point where I, we and I were talking about the other day, all those WWE guys that got let go, you know, uh, and look, if this virus doesn't go away, Conrad sooner, much sooner than later, there's going to be a lot more layoffs, not only in wrestling, but everywhere. I saw the number the other day of how many people are unemployed in America right now. It's fucking scary. It's scary. So, uh, but I, I, but Jericho prevailed. He's tenacious little son of a bitch. He's a bad dude. And, uh, but that was not a good piece of business, uh, fundamentally promotion or whatever. So it's always some political thing, man. It's, uh, that's a, that's the, that's the most negative part of pro wrestling to me, the goddamn politics, much like our we could parallels our country right now. Politics suck. Let's, uh, let's mention too, this reaction that Austin gets when he comes out. Did you ever hear a bigger pop in your whole fucking career? <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty strong. And, and of course you, you hope that with all of our incessant, uh, teasing that the, uh, fans at home were, were jacked. Yeah. Pumped up. No, it was, it was incredible. There's only been a few like that, that even remotely were in the realm of, uh, uh consideration and, uh, you know, uh, Triple H coming back from his quad injury to the garden. That was a big one. Oh, this is way bigger than that. No, I'm just, I'm just saying it was sure. I'm, I'm not saying it's the biggest, 
Yeah. But, but there are only a handful of the moments in my 40 years in the business that I would even put into that category. And the triple H return would be one of those matches in that category. Uh, but the nothing, uh, John Cena returned John Cena to Royal rumble one year. We talked about that last week or week before where it was, you know, this damn virus thing. I don't even know what sometimes you ever get, you get the days mixed up. Yes. Golly boy, I do. So I thought of just my senility, but hell, I talked to my friends a lot younger than me. Oh man. What is today? Oh, days Thursday or whatever. Uh, you know, but no, it's the pop was, uh, incredible. It, it, that was the, the greatest illustration of an audience making an emotional investment and truly embracing the, the character of stone cold, Steve Austin. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was incredible. So of all the things I've seen, the championship matches I've called the big shows, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, nothing tops that ever in my career. We, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your relationship with Austin, you knew him in real life. Y'all were buds. Was he nervous, concerned? I mean, it's his first time back. He's had this neck surgery. You also got to wonder a guy like him. He's probably wondering, Hey, am I in, not only is my neck safe, but do I look like I'm supposed to look, I haven't been able to train the way I normally would. Did, did, did he have any insecurities about coming back here or was it business as usual for Steve? I think he had, he always had insecurities. I think that's what made him great. He always was, he was never satisfied totally with how he looked or any, I, I never heard him uh, go on any uh, soliloquy or get on a soapbox about how great his last match was. There's always something in his matches that motivated him to improve and to get better. He kept Steve kept reinventing his game. And I think that, uh, so no matter if he was coming off an injury or whatever, uh, he was always a little, a little, uh, antsy, uh, had that, uh, and I, and I truly believe it may sound crazy. I think that's one of the things that made him as great as he was. He never was satisfied. So in other words, you've heard me use this before, probably ad nauseum. He did not reside in his comfort zone. He didn't, he, he did not reside, uh, in an area where he was content to be status quo. And a lot of guys are, they find their comfort zone from money, uh, from a creative spot. They're on the middle of the card, the upper main event card, whatever. They're happy just to be a part of the team, so to speak. That's what they say. But the issue is more often than not. They're just so goddamn unmotivated and, uh, some lazy that they're, they're good enough with their natural skills to not have to work about worry about improving. And Steve was a guy that always wanted to improve. And, 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 and even when he was the hottest guy in the, in the, ever in the business, he still was unfulfilled Conrad. And I just look at that as a trait of a true legendary superstar that always wanted to get better. And, uh, so, but I don't remember any specifics other than the normal stuff. How do I look, you know, he did go about how do I look or, you know, look at my muscles or whatever. Uh, I think he was glad to get back in the, in the, in the, uh, locker room at the arenas around the talents. He's a very popular guy and the talents had great respect for Steve still to still do. So I think he was excited about that, but as far as his performance and how it was going to go. Uh, I'm sure he had some apprehensions because now we are getting ready to get him back in the game, you know, boots, black boots, black tights, all that stuff. So I'm sure that was probably cemented in his mind 
when I do finally get back, how's it going to be? And the great thing is he would even say, man, I don't know. I've been gone and hell, they might not remember who the hell I am. Are you kidding? So <laughs> we got all those apprehensions were, were, were addressed on that interest as you mentioned so well about how big that pop was. It was extraordinary. Go watch that match just for the pop. It's unbelievable. Uh, what also is unbelievable is that it's been 31 years since we covered wrestle war 89. The first time we're going to dive into it deep next week is the music city showdown, the main event, man. And what a match it is for the NWA world heavyweight championship flair and steamboat. We've also got sting working with the iron Sheik. that really Whoa. happened. Michael Hayes and Lex Luger that happened. The dynamic dudes and the Samoan SWAT team, Dick Murdoch and Bob Orton jr. Butch Reed and Ranger Ross, the great Muda and Doug Gilbert. Okay. The undercard is not that great, but the main event, my goodness, what a performance, Ric Flair, Ricky steamboat. We're going to talk about it next week, right here. If you've got a question, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jr. grilling until next week. He is at Jr's BBQ. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.